You know, when uh, you're making a major purchase, quite often there is something that sort of stands out, that sort of we call the clincher. That thing that sort of is the thing that sort of just seals the deal. So whether we're, we're buying a house or maybe a car or perhaps a, uh, a, a nice vacation, expensive vacation, uh, there's usually something that we call the clincher. It might have been, for instance, in the house, it might be a gourmet kitchen. They're all right. Or in the car, uh, for me, uh, now that I'm getting older, it would be the heated seats. Uh, vacations, it's the all-inclusive vacations. These are, the, these are the clinchers. And, and on the day of Pentecost, which we're studying right now, there was something that Peter said in a sermon that he gave. That was the clincher. We know that there was something said that turned 3,000 lives upside down. They had been privy to and contributed to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They were complicit. But after... Hearing Peter, Peter's speech and his, his sermon, if you call it that, there was a clincher, and something in what he said turned their hearts, and instead of being complicit, they became allies of Jesus Christ. Their whole world turned upside down. Oh, to be able to preach like Peter. But 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior on the day of Pentecost because of something that was said by Peter in his sermon. And so, today you need your thinking hats on. The first little test I have for you is to figure out what is the clincher. What is it that Peter says in his sermon that you think was enough for people to move from enemies to allies of Jesus Christ. Let's read. This is in chapter 2 of Acts. Peter said these words. Just so you know the context I should mention. This is going on shortly thereafter or perhaps even during the time when there's people who are experiencing the infilling of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now David, that would be their revered King David, said this about him. I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. 
You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. That's what David said, which had been written. He goes on to say, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is still here to this day. He could have said, if you crack it open, you're going to find his bones. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. You see what he's saying there is that David said those words, but he wasn't referring to himself. He was referring to someone who would come after him, who would be from his lineage. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. So, what do you think was the clincher? What tipped the scales? What moved these people from being skeptics to believers? Conspirators to loyal apologizers? Moved them from the ranks of the spiritually dead to the ranks of the spiritually alive. They were lost, they became found. They were blind, and then they became sighted. They were enemies, and now they became allies. Well, we've already <coughs> talked about this, and it, it bears repeating. And that is this. <coughs> Signs Wonders and miracles are not always enough. And this is the case. If we read further on, or from what Peter has said, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through you, through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Apparently this was not the clincher. Because they still crucify him. <laughs> and we've said this before. You know, people cry out, if I'd only had a miracle, if I'd only had a sign or a wonder, it would make all the difference. No, it won't make all the difference. People crucified Jesus after seeing miracles. People crucified Jesus after seeing Lazarus, who'd been dead and in a grave for four days. 
They still didn't give their lives to Jesus. They rationalized. They came up with excuses. That wasn't the clincher. I believe the clincher is the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about in this sermon. He's talking about the resurrection. He says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you've crucified, both Lord and Savior, and Messiah, I should say. After he said that, we read these words. Now when they heard this, they were, cut, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? I bet you they're also saying to themselves, My God, what have we done? If you consider the way Peter puts his sermon together, clearly the big idea in this case was the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and I want to suggest one thing further. I believe that it was not just the power to resurrect, the authority to resurrect. Because like I said, these people had seen Lazarus, who Jesus had raised from the dead. There's something unique about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, unique even to Lazarus. That's the clincher. That, that brings a point of confrontation with truth where you have to say, he is who he said he was. Or there's got to be another explanation for I'm going to use some terms that I want, I'm hoping that they'll stick in your head. They're, they're meaningful. I believe that it was the singularly unique, remember that, I believe it was the singularly unique resurrection. Here's another one. I believe it was the precedent setting Resurrection. So it was both singularly unique, yet precedent-setting resurrection of Jesus Christ that caused people to give their life to Christ. And to this day is at the heart of the gospel to which people respond and give their heart to Jesus. I'm not a connoisseur of fine art. Most of our art has been given to us. <laughs> but in order for a piece of art to be deemed authentic, it comes with a certificate of authenticity, which means that the person a qualified person has looked at a piece of art 
and determine that it is not fraudulent, but it's actually done by the hand of the person whose name is on the, on the piece of art. I believe that if Christ rose from the grave in the manner in which he did, his resurrection and his resurrected body becomes his certificate of authenticity. It is the seal of his authenticity that everything that he said and claimed about himself was true. I want us to take a look at this a little more closely. This is where you really need to have your thinking hats on because we're going to just do sort of a building of, a, of an idea, an argument, if you will. I want us to take a look at this question. How does Christ's resurrection prove his identity? Well, first we have to look at what he claimed about himself. We throw the term Messiah around a lot, but really what was the Messiah? The Messiah actually uh, was, was a term used by the Jewish people to speak to, about a coming king, the anointed one. The, pe the people of Israel had been given scriptures, and within those scriptures there was indication that there would be a golden age at the end of the age. And that a ruler would come and he would be the savior of the world. And he would reign on the throne of David and would rule all the world and the society in which that kingdom uh, dwelt would be utopian. It would be wonderful. You hear the term, the lion would lay down with the lamb. It would be this amazing culture and world that the Messiah would reign over. And so the people looked forward to a Messiah. Jesus clearly said, I am the Messiah. He was talking to a Samaritan woman at a well one day, and she said to him, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And what did Jesus say? I who speak to you am he. <laughs> Unequivocal. I am the Messiah. I am the one who all the prophets have been writing about in your scriptures. I am the one who's come, uh, who has been predicted to come. The next thing we know about Jesus and his claims about himself is that he clearly claimed to be God. There's a lot of people that deny that he said that he was God. He said it a lot. He claimed to be God himself, in the person, in the flesh. He once said, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. This guy's not Donald Trump. Okay? Donald says Obama wiretapped the White House. Okay? Now he explains that he didn't mean wiretap. Okay, so this is not semantics. Do you know how I know it's not semantics? 
Because the people that were with Jesus when he said that picked up stones and tried to stone him to death. Because you, he, they said, you're a blasphemer because you claim to be God. No question. Jesus Christ claimed to be God. He claimed to be the Messiah and he claimed to be God. He also claimed that he had the authority to forgive sins. Look in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 9. He says in Matthew 9, For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven to you, or to say, Arise and walk? He was talking to a paralytic. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise and take up your bed and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Jesus said, the easy part is healing you, dude. The harder part is to forgive your sins. As a matter of fact, <laughs> it's really hard. You're going to find out someday how hard it is. I'm going to have to die a wickedly brutal death. That's hard. But I can do it because I have the authority to forgive sins. And so Jesus claimed that he had the authority to forgive sins. The other thing that Jesus claimed was that he had the authority over life and death. See where we're going now, right? He had the authority over life and death. He said to Martha, who ran to him as he was work, working his way towards Bethany, where Lazarus lay dead. You know, Martha ran up and said, if you had only been here, my brother would, Lazarus would not have died. And Jesus said these words to her. <coughs> I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be God. He claimed to have authority over sin. And he also claimed to have authority over life and death. Those were the things that he claimed. Now we need to talk about why his resurrection and the manner of his resurrection proves that. Well, first we need to look at what is the ultimate consequence of sin. What is sin's effect on our physical body? Well, the ultimate consequence Adam and Eve found out. God said to Adam, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil, and now lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. God is actually speaking amongst the Trinity there. The Father is speaking amongst the Trinity. And he's saying, He has sinned and we can't allow him to stay in the garden because there's this other tree. And if he gets a hold of that fruit, he's going to live forever. And then he said to Adam, you were formed out of dust, and to dust you're, you're going to return. So the ultimate consequence of sin is physical bodily death. We all die, right? We die because of sin. 
That's where it all started. Alright? That's where it all began. This whole idea that we live a certain number of years and then we die is because we live in a world that has fallen and we ourselves are sinners and we ultimately die as a penalty for it. We also, if we don't get right with God, die a spiritual death. Which isn't like you die and, and you're non-existent. It means that you are for eternity out of the presence of life. Jesus' life. And to be out of the presence of Christ is spiritual death. And so the consequences of sin is death. There's another passage here in Romans 5. Therefore, just as through man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sin. So we know that the consequence of sin is physical and potentially spiritual death. Okay, so here's the final part of the argument that I'm putting together. The argument that is addressing the question, or the answer that is addressing the question, what is it about the resurrection of Jesus Christ that proves his identity? And the third part is this. What is the nature of Christ's risen body? What is the nature of Christ's risen body? I want you to read one of the times that Jesus appeared to his disciples from Luke 24. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And, and why, do you know, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet that it is myself, I myself. Handle me <laughs> and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy, sorry, but while they still did not believe for joy, sorry, that's not right, and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it, and he ate it. What is the nature of the risen, what is the nature of the physical body of Jesus Christ, who resurrected? <coughs> it wasn't like the saints, who are that great cloud of witnesses looking down on us right now. They're in heaven. And they're in spiritual form right now. Their spirits are with Christ. That's not what happened when Jesus Christ, a spirit did not rise from the grave. Okay? Nor did a body like Lazarus's rise from the dead. Because guess what? Lazarus later died eventually. Probably a, a happy old man who had great stories to tell. <laughs> it was a different body that Jesus had to Lazarus. Lazarus, his body rose from the grave, but it was just like your body and mine. 
You see, the body that Christ rose with was a glorified body. As the scripture read, it was physical. I love it. Jesus is like, touch me. Touch me. Watch this. He puts some food down his throat. See? I'm real. I'm alive. But that is a glorified body. That is a body that will never corrupt. Will never decay. Is eternal. You see, that is the body that Christ rose with. Now this is the clincher. Jesus Christ reversed the effect of sin. He undid the consequence of sin, which is physical death, when he rose from the grave. He overcame sin. He overcame death by rising from the grave with a glorified body. The question that I've been trying to answer is this. How does Christ's resurrection prove his identity? Well, let me suggest to you that only God can reverse the consequence of sin. <laughs> only God can reverse the consequences of sin. Overcome this thing where you sin, you die, your body dies. He enabled you and me to one day rise with a glorified body just like this. And when he rose with that glorified body, he proved that he was God. He proved he was the Messiah. He expanded their idea of what the Messiah was. But he proved that he was that. He proved that he had power over sin. That he could forgive sin. He could give absolution. He knocked it out of the park. When he rose with that body. I like what Timothy Keller says. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Right? That's just good logic. Do you remember what I said he said about himself? He said that he was the Messiah. He said he was God. He said he could forgive sins. He said that he could overcome life and death. That he was life itself. The resurrection and the life. And so all of those claims that Jesus made about himself, he proved when he <coughs> overcame sin and death, made a way for the forgiveness of all mankind, whoever would choose to be forgiven. All of that was proven. That was his certificate of authenticity when he rose from the grave. Paul wrote these words in Acts. Sorry. Let me, let me skip back just a bit. I missed a piece. 1 Corinthians 15 is what Paul wrote. 
For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In this life only, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all, by all men the most pitiful. <laughs> you see, if Christ didn't rise from the grave the way he did, then nothing what he said was true. But we know that he did, and we know that everything that he said was true, that he is God. So let's just go back to our story. I didn't read all of the section that we were going to read. This is, this is how Luke, who writes Acts, wraps up this segment of Peter's sermon. So Peter gave this sermon all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. People's hearts were cut, and they said, what can we do? And this is what Luke writes to tie this up. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 3,000 people heard the sermon, heard about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they said, that's his certificate of authenticity, my God, what have we done? We've crucified our Lord, the Savior, the Messiah. And they said, they were cut to the heart, and they said, well, what can I do to make this right? And they gave their lives completely and entirely to, them, to, to Jesus Christ that day. So I just want to close with the implications of this very quickly. They're immense. <laughs> the singularly unique Precedent-setting resurrection of Jesus Christ proves his authenticity. And as we sing, when we sing, when I survey the wondrous cross, demands my soul, my life, my all. Because that's what Jesus asked for. And so, his resurrection is proof positive of who he was and what he calls us to do is to give us, to give him his, our lives, our soul, our all. The second thing is, it's proof positive that your sins are forgiven. The resurrection of Jesus Christ accomplished what Christ came to do. His purpose was to be, as John said, the lamb of the world who will take away the sins of the world. The, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so, it's proof positive, it's absolute. If you ask for the forgiveness of your sins, Jesus Christ has the authority, the ability to do just that. And so your sins are forgiven if you ask Jesus Christ for forgiveness. And I've been saying these words. It's a singularly unique. There was no other resurrection like Jesus Christ's resurrection. He rose with a glorified body. Yes, it's a physical body, proving that he overturned or reversed the consequences of sin. Physical body for sure. You can touch it. You can feel it. You can hear it. You can put your finger in his side. You can watch him eat food. It was a physical body, but it was a glorified body too. 
It was an eternal body, a body that will live for eternity. And so, it was singularly unique. No one else had that. Except now, I say, it's precedent-setting. The resurrection of Jesus Christ with the glorified body is precedent-setting. That means he was the first, and guess what? We're the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth. We too will rise from the grave with a glorified body. Guess what? People will recognize us. <laughs> right? People will recognize us. We'll have glorified bodies. We won't have any sickness. We won't have any ailments. For some of us, it'll be hard to recognize us. <laughs> but we will be recognized. Jesus Christ is precedent setting. We read in, uh, where is it? Corinthians. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. He's the first fruit. We are the second, third, fourth fruit. All right? We too will have bodies like his. This is the core of the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not raise with the Spirit. He didn't rise like Lazarus with a body that was going to die again. He rose with a glorified body, proving that he was who he said he was, overcoming sin, overcoming death, and all of its consequences. <coughs> he reversed and undid all that sin had done and Satan had done. That's what Christ accomplished when he rose from the grave with his glorified body. I'd like us just to look at Acts 4.33. Guess, was it, guess what was at the heart of every sermon that they preached? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. So clearly, the singularly unique precedent-setting resurrection of Jesus Christ is the clincher. Is that what you guessed? Bet you did. You're so smart. <laughs> Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing plan of redemption that we have been made privy to and we have the opportunity to embrace. A plan that you started even before the creation of the world. A plan that you put into place. A plan that you worked out perfectly in your timing. A plan that included your Son, Jesus Christ, coming to earth as the Lamb of God who took away our sins and who is with you now awaiting His second coming. Lord, we look forward to that day when we too will be like Him. Lord, this is good news. Help us not to sit on it. Help us to spread it. Help us to uh, share it with people who need to hear this good news. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great day.